Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I guess the first time that they were uh, uh, acknowledged was uh, in the probably the 50s and 60s. So there was uh, TV programs, particularly the Jetsons. Oh, I shouldn't have upset George, but if he only knew how I hate washing, ironing, vacuuming. The family there had uh, a flying vehicle, and, and in the United States in particular, there was a lot of uh, publicity about the potential of people living in the suburbs that could fly into work using either flying cars or having their own aircraft parked in their own hangar, which was attached to their homes. And, and this was a, a, a great idea um, and, until uh, it was realized there was no airports or airfields in the center of um, the majority of their cities, so, uh, so that kind of uh, didn't really go anywhere. Welcome back to the world of Where's My Jetpack. Back in the 1960s, we were promised everything from jetpacks to flying cars and holidays in space. But here we are in the 21st century, not a jetpack in sight. So what happened to those space-age dreams? I'm Sarah Crudus. And I'm Luke Moore. And each episode, we'll be taking you on a mission to find out by exploring a different futuristic promise that never was to find out if it was all just science fiction or if these great inventions are either just around the corner or lurking in some unexpected places. This is episode four, Where's My Flying Car? Listen, getting involved in podcasting so you can talk about flying cars, fantastic. I feel like this is the existential question, isn't it, that people have been asking for decades, more so than where's my jetpack, it's where's my flying car? Absolutely. And again, it comes back to that thing we talked about on uh, the previ- on previous episodes. You sit down as a kid or as a teenager or whatever, you watch a movie and it's Blade Runner or whatever and there's flying cars everywhere. And when I was a kid, obviously I was a big football fan as people who, who listen may, may already know, I was always worried that when I got to adulthood that the football players would be robots. Right, cause, wow, cause, wow, you really did overthink a lot of the time. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know me. Uh, and, um, and I was worried. I was thinking, oh, God, there's going to be no people playing football. But as a part of that, I also thought, well, all this stuff's going to be happening by the time I'm an adult. There's obviously going to be flying cars everywhere. It's going to be amazing. And yet, we don't see it. I know. And it's one of those things. I, I think before, you know, humans have always wanted to fly. And as soon as we started 
driving, the next thing was to assume that we'd be able to take those cars to the skies. And then you look at science fiction and it has all these great ideas. Back to the Future, Blade Runner. I watched Blade Runner last night. You know, all these dreams and and hopes of having a flying car, it's just kind of accepted. Instead, as I mentioned before, we jumped into cyberspace. So why don't we now take a look back at where the idea of a flying car came from? Have you ever been caught in a traffic jam and wished you had wings and could fly away from it all? Well, you're not the only one. It wasn't long after we first got cars that people started dreaming of taking them to the skies. In 1917 came our first attempt, the Curtis Autoplane. With four wheels, propellers and three vertically stacked wings, it was capable of lifting off the ground. However, it never quite achieved full flight and the First World War scuppered its development. More attempts were made throughout the next 50 years as excitement for a car that could take to the air continued to build. Even the legendary Henry Ford, the man behind the Ford Motor Company, talked of a future where we could drive a combination of aeroplane and motor car. Mark my words, the combination aeroplane and motor car is coming. But come it did not. Some promise was shown, such as the aero car in 1949, which had civil aviation authority approval to fly, but also a lack of buyers. Change a 60 mile per hour traffic hampered buggy into a high flyer on the unlimited highways of the sky. And later, things got even worse for the hopes of a flying car. In 1973, excitement was building as the AVE Mizar, built by Henry Smolinski and Harold Blake, took off on the vehicle's second test flight. But minutes after liftoff, the right wing of the car folded and collapsed, killing both men as the vehicle crashed into the ground. This was the beginning of the end for the dream of a flying car. And coupled with exhaustive regulations and lack of enthusiasm, hopes started fading away. It's times like this it occurs to me we were lied to by the Jetsons. So there we go for decades. Literally as soon as we had cars, people were thinking, how can we make them fly? Because you've got to remember as humans... We've been obsessed we want a bit of that. with flying. Yeah, we've been obsessed Happens. with flying. You look, look at it comes up on the show every episode, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. <clears> that <throat> that desire to fly, to to fly like a bird, to to mm. no longer travel in a conventional way. So as soon as cars as soon as cars came along, of course people were like, "Can we fly them? Can we take to the skies?" Yeah, you know, I reckon. I reckon people listening might be a bit surprised by all the information in that package there because you know it's not something that we would consider has been constantly explored across the entirety of the 20th century really because it's it's been stopped in its tracks so early on so many times for all the different reasons you mentioned there i think people will find that a little bit surprising because because we've never really seen it i mean we're going to come on to things like drones and helicopters and all the rest of it but really it's never really come close to 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 anything like we would recognize as a flying car well it's interesting because a lot of the attempts um there was one called the Convair model 118 you, mm. you may not remember that mm. no one does back in the 1940s 1940s how old do you think i am sarah Older than you, (laughs) but this was literally imagine a small aeroplane and then stick a car on the bottom of it. Yeah, that was literally start somewhere. Yeah, and then there's other ones. Um, the British Army had their own version in the 1940s, which could fly for around it was essentially a helicopter mashed together with a car and it could fly for about 10 minutes. And they thought they could use that as a way of getting cars to new places to Mm. you know traversing over difficult terrain. So Mm. people have been trying to develop this idea and actually. 
we look at all the science fiction, we look at Jetsons, we look at more modern movies such as you know, Blade Runner and Back to the Future. But the idea, and this is one of these rare situations where the engineering actually comes before the science fiction because it really was the turn of the last century that we tried to make cars fly and realised we couldn't. And then science fiction's picked off off the back of it, which is unusual because normally it's the other way around. So it's, mm. it's something engineers have certainly been dreaming of for a long time, but we haven't quite got there yet. And I think the reason for it, looking into it and doing some research for the episode today, it looks to me like the reason for that is just because it's so hard. I mean, it's hard. <laughs> I love like, your research. <laughs> no, I, think, I think it is. I think if you look at the idea that and I know you're gonna, you're probably going to question this, and we're going to talk about this in a bit more detail. But the idea that it needs to be an efficient plane, a flying, a flying vehicle, if you like, uh, of some description, and a car that can unencumbered drive around on the road. Well, these are two very different things. It's exactly right. They're so you... very different. So it's very difficult to amalgamate them and just go bang, there you go. And as you said, I, I was being a bit facetious when I said, "Oh, they've got to start somewhere." Just sticking a plane on a car. It's yet obvious for me to say now, sat in the studio, not doing any work towards it 70 years later. That's not going to work, right? Because the way a plane needs to fly, for example, it's all about air passing over the wings. It's about power to weight ratio. The Newley's principle. Yeah, exactly. As, well, you know the scientific word for it. I just know how to describe it because someone told it to me <laughs> once. But the point is, in, in, in some ways, the car part of it may negate the plane part of it or vice versa. Yeah, and it makes it tough. You're, you're exactly correct. So it's one of these tricky engineering challenges because we... We know if we design a car, we want it to look a certain way so mm. that it's roadworthy and safe. And we know if we want to design an aeroplane, it needs to be practical to go in the sky. Mm. But then when you mash them together as a two, and as you mentioned, these literally sticking an aeroplane on, on top of um, a car, or there was something known as the trifibium, which is essentially, you know, the sidecar of a, yeah. a motorcycle. Yeah. One of those with basically like a hood. And, and then they tried to fly that. And it's that massive engineering challenge because scientists dream up all these crazy things they want to explore and do. And then it's engineers who actually have to go and do the hard yeah. work and find out how, how to do it. And it's actually a massive engineering problem. So we have tried for decades to get a flying car. We have had cars which mm -hmm. have flown, but nothing's really been practical because, as you mentioned, you've got two different problems. You're trying to design something for two different situations. So the question is still, do flying cars actually work? Can you ever have something which is fit for both purposes? Mm -hmm. And in the past, certainly the answer was no. I think I just think think of the parking spaces. Think of the car parking spaces. They need to be mean? massive. No, really wide. the wings can fold up. Well, they don't exist. No, so no. Some of the cars um, which were designed had wings which folded up. I like that. Or if you've got the trifibian, that's literally just a hood. Are so you happy? Yeah, are, are you happy getting in a plane knowing the wings fold up? Right. I, I trust engineering. Trust the science. Trust the science. You've, you've got, got the confidence. Trust, you you've know, got the confidence. You've got. I think all of us, when we're on a plane yeah. and we see the wings bending ever so slightly, mm. we get a little nervous. Mm. But you've got to trust. I, I sometimes think engineers are almost like magicians because they take something which seems so impossible. And, you mm. know, our world of today is impossible compared with the world 100 years ago. And they create things mm. which seem impossible. So... The engineering is getting there, but it's still just a, a tough problem to solve something which is efficient for both situations. If you're going to have a, a literal car that drives on the road, needs a runway to land, and then flies as well. Yeah, it's a lot to consider. The old sense of a flying car goes back to just a simple desire to fly. And when yeah. we thought we could make cars fly, but what we're going to find out in a moment is how the need for a flying car, how, you, how you've mentioned, is dramatically changing. And, and that technology could bring new benefits to all of us. If you look up at the sky today, it's unlikely you'll see passenger cars hovering above you. It's no secret that flying cars aren't quite yet here. 
But what you may see is a drone or two. And if you're in Dubai, you may even see a police officer navigating traffic atop a hover bike, a vehicle which combines drone and motorcycle technology to create a hybrid of the two. Take a look at this. This is what uh, Dubai police are testing uh, right now. This is a drone that flies and a person can go onto it. Although drones don't carry passengers, they're one step away from VITOLs, also known as vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. This is the computer model concept of NASA's experimental one-man puffin. The vehicle would stand on its tail on the ground with four legs laid out for stability. Out on the wings, electric motors drive four blades. These personal aircraft, like the Larry Page-backed Kitty Hawk Flyer or the NASA puffin, are handy ways to get from A to B they aren't quite flying cars in that they don't operate on the road. Bridging the gap between the two are creations like the Terrafugia Transition, which can be driven on the road as well as flown in the sky. We have started the engine, we've done our drive testing, our taxi testing, and our flight testing. A roadworthy flying car was even driven from London to Timbuktu, though it was essentially a dune buggy with a parachute attached to it not quite what the movies envisioned. So, while the flying car is not yet here, a lot of the technology associated with it is. And as innovators look for more efficient, exciting and greener ways to travel around busy cities, we may not be waiting too much longer. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people have attempted. You heard about that dune buggy there, which flew from London to Timbuktu. Yeah. It sounds great, but it was essentially a dune buggy with a parachute. Right, And I think lots of people are trying to make that flying car because it sounds so exciting and also it's good advertising for something you're doing. But it's, I mean, just in that package, yeah, it's interesting because now, because of the advent of, for me, the standout here is the drone technology thing. It doesn't, you don't need to be a scientist to think, okay, some of the stuff you can do with drones now, whether it be, you know, con- contributing to every single Netflix documentary ever with that shot over the neighbourhood. Yeah, TV shows <laughs> I've done, we yeah. use a drone for every episode. Yeah, exactly. Make them bigger, make them more f- fuel efficient, whether you're using electric power, whatever. And all of a sudden you start to get better power to weight ratios. You can start doing more and more with them. And that feels to me like that's the way forward. But I am going to have to say, because people are expecting a flying car episode here, a drone is not a car. Well, exactly. And I think... Now we're in the present, the question to actually ask is, what do you think a flying car is? Because what we're actually seeing is a divergence in yeah. what a flying car could potentially Different possibilities do. in different areas. Yeah, yeah. so um, you've got something like the Aeromobile One, which mm. is literally a car that can fly. And, and one person who can explain this is Patrick Hessel, and he's the CEO of Aeromobile, who've been developing this new type of flying car. So um, in drive mode, the, the first commercial Aeromobile has similar dimensions to a car, enabling it to drive on the road. It has four wheels, it's a, it's a two-seater, and the front cabin resembles a supercar. Also, it's wider than a standard um, airplane fuselage, gives the passenger more space inside. The vehicle transforms its wings um, from a rearward position um, outwards and gives it around a 9-meter, 29-foot wide wingspan. So you, to drive the vehicle, you need a standard driving license. And in the flight mode, it resembles a small airplane uh, with a you know, wider fuselage and a very unique but uh, very appealing look. You take off, uh, you land just like with any other small airplane. 
to take off, you need about 1,300 feet of a runway or straight road. And you do need a private pilot license to, to fly the vehicle. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Eureka, the show that gets under the skin of science in a good way. I'm Rick Edwards. And I'm Dr. Michael Brooks. Not the kind of doctor who'd be able to help much if you're having like a heart attack. But if you're wondering about quantum physics or the theory of matter, he's your man. Well, probably. Every week we're asking a new puzzling question from the world of science and discovering the answer with the help of a world-leading expert. Like, will we ever talk to animals? They are definitely talking. You know, that's, again, a word that I would qualify because we usually mean that vocally. But in their own ways, they're talking to us every single day. Are face transplants the future of cosmetic surgery? Given that range of what's considered attractive, there's probably no point wanting to change your face to be more attractive if you follow science. And should we fear an alien invasion? If an imperialistic drive brings... Uh, other civilizations to us, then obviously it's not good news. But if it's scientific exploration, it may be good news. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about the weird, magnificent world around us, then this is the show for you. 
Eureka. Subscribe now and find us on Twitter at EurekaPod. New episodes every Wednesday. Eureka is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Now, to those of you listening to this episode on the train into work or out on a run or whatever, and you are envisaging a flying car, if you haven't seen Aeromobile, let me tell you now, this is exactly what you think of when you think of a flying car. It looks slick. It looks like an amazing sports car, but you see pictures of it up in the air or artist impressions or whatever, and it looks amazing. It looks like a great little mini private jet as well. This, for me, is the dictionary definition of what a flying car is and should be to people of our generation. I think it's coming in, they say it's coming in early 2023, right? Yeah, and, and at six-figure price tag as well. So it's That could expensive. be a lot different. There's a lot. Yeah. Listen, that could be 950 <laughs> grand or 100 grand. There's a big difference there. But I think if you've got the money, um, and Patrick mentioned Patrick Hessel, who's the CEO of Aeromobile, he mentioned you have to have a pilot's license. So yeah, you have to... Um, so I drive a little soft top fit 500 and I can take the roof down can't with the push of the button. No, it can't fly. <laughs> but you can push the button down and the roof comes down. Yeah. yeah by the way, I've got a flying car, Luke. I yes, forgot to I, mention that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, these flying cars like the Aeromobile, it takes some time. I think it takes about 10 minutes to actually convert into an aeroplane. You do need to have your private pilot's license. And, and more important as well, you can't just, or more importantly as well, you can't just drive along a motorway and then decide, there's too much traffic, I'm going to fly. Yeah. You actually need to go to an airfield and then take off. So, yes, it's a flying car, but it's not in that back-to-the-future sense that you can drive along and then suddenly head into the sky. But it is the best version we've got so far, and it is yeah. coming to market. And it's very exciting. And I think we talked about this on the Hoverboard episode. We said, you know, fine for people who make movies to say, this is what, our, this is what we envision X to be, right? That's fine. It's a TV show or a movie or a video game or whatever. This is the reality of what you are actually able to do. And I don't see how you can get much better than this, but maybe I'm just being a little bit preemptive and, and saying, well, may, maybe in 10 years' time, you will better get better. To me, I don't see in practical terms, sorry to be a bit boring, how you can realistically go be going along a motorway and then go flip the wings out and fly. It doesn't, it's ne regulation wise, it's never going to be allowed. No, but science fiction told us that was going to happen when people yeah. were imagining. You've got the a lot future. to answer for this yeah, science fiction. Yeah, science fiction always does, but mostly, you know, as I've said a few times in a few episodes. Every episode? Yeah. Say again. Science fiction should be renamed science prediction. There we go. Because all the things you imagine come true as well as all the things you can't imagine. But yeah. I would say the flying car is really split into two camps. So you've got the classic flying car. And as you say, Luke, that's the closest to what you can imagine yeah. an actual flying car being. That's the Aeromobile. They've got a two-seater. They hope to release a four-seater in the near future as well. So you can take some passengers with you. You do need a private pilot's license mm. and you do need access to an airfield. But for wealthy people, it's a solution. And then on the other side, you've got VTOLs, vertical takeoff and landing, and also drones. And the potential for, on this technology to actually have not really a flying car, but a flying vehicle which can actually transform ways you and I get around a city. So instead of by cars or by um, other forms of public transport, we can mm. get these flying vehicles. Now, one person who knows a lot about this and, and can explain how they might work is Andrew Chadwick, who is an expert on everything to do with unmanned aerial vehicles. What's happening in recent years is the, the emergence of drone technology. So... Uh, number of drones which um, historically were used for military systems. It was recognised in the commercial industry that you could use those for 
doing some of those tasks which were either uh, which took a long time to do, which were quite boring and maybe potentially dangerous. And, and, that, and that with the introduction and development of battery technology, with, with communications technology, so with 3, 4 and now 5G, that it was possible to actually operate drones and, and fly them um, around our towns and cities and uh, in rural areas. And that led eventually now to the development of these what was called flying cars, can be called uh, electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, or I, I, it's called just electric aircraft because that, that covers uh, a wide variety of those. And, and this is something which people are taking really seriously. Everything from Airbus, which has actually developed a, I don't even know, you know, a sort of flying car. It's mm. a vehicle which has eight propellers on it, almost like a drone. It's got electrical power. It can fly. And the difference between, um, say, a Harrier, a Harrier jump jet, which yeah. is very, very noisy, or a helicopter, mm. is the electrical power that you actually get in these electrical vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. But the problem with electrical power is you need a very, very big battery. Yeah. That's then very heavy. And yeah. then it makes it very difficult to fly. So it's a huge challenge of engineering, but it's a problem that we can potentially solve. So the flying car at the moment feels like it's it's being developed in certain types of way, but it doesn't look anything like the flying car that was imagined. No, exactly. I think you're right to talk, as you said earlier, about divergence, right? So there's different ways of going about it. Um, one is the traditional flying car way that we've talked about with um, with Aeromobile, which I think uses, I think some of them use gasoline, some of them use electric, right? And then you've got the VTOLs, the vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, which to me... You know, I don't want to be... And then the EV tolls, which are the electric Electric versions, versions of yeah. But they are, Sarah, aren't they? They're just like, uh, to me, they feel a bit like an upgrade on a helicopter yep, in a more efficient comment. way using drone technology. I feel like you are a personal fan of the Aeromobile. Yeah. If you had to pick a flying because, car. Because I, I'm, you know me, I'm very, very in tune with our listeners. And if they're sitting there listening now, which <laughs> they are, what they're looking at in their mind is exactly what the Aeromobile is. Now, I'm not I'm not disrespecting or, or, or disregarding the VTOLs because that's clearly the way that the technology has been taken. They're going, right, this is the most efficient way of doing this, etc., etc. Helicopters already exist. Harrier jump jets already exist, as you've already said. What we're talking about here is a more refined, the current way of thinking is the more refined version of the helicopter. And also a cleaner version, better for the environment More as well. efficient, better for the environment, less noise. As yep. well as you've said, so and no need for a runway because the problem is I'm on Team VTOL, eVTOL, right? Because you know you need long runways. You don't with something which can take off vertically. Yeah. You know that's exciting. But it's not a car. Well, it's car shaped. Okay, true. Okay, so it depends on your interpretation. Is, a car, is the aeromobile a car when it's in the sky? Yeah, I suppose not. It looks like one. So again, it's a yeah, shame. It's, okay. a, it's a difficult one. But that's where we are with it. It's called cool it. It's, it's precipitated two separate sort of paths of research yep. and it'll also be fascinating to see which one wins out because it could be like a whole Blu-ray HD DVD thing that's a great VHS, analogy VHS, Betamax or whatever who normally you get these vying pieces of technology one of them wins out I hope one of them does I hope I hope, you know, I hope we're not in a situation in a few years time when neither of them do I'd really hope one of them to do so well I think we always want to fly but let's look into our crystal balls and, and see where the technology is heading in the future so what does the future hold for the flying car? The days of calling an aircraft and flying to work could be here soon. Will we all be travelling in one in years to come? I gotta believe there's somebody else out there thinking about the flying car besides me. Someone who's not afraid to throw their hats over the wall for the good of mankind. Those science fiction dreams of flying cars could be just around the corner. So if I heard correctly, Scatamanga got away. Yes, sir. 
a car that sprouted wings. Oh, that's perfectly feasible, sir. Uber Elevate certainly thinks so. The ride-sharing company claims to be working on an all-electric vertical takeoff passenger vehicle that could become the aerial taxi of choice in the future. Well, this is your first look at the air taxi dreamed up and created by the folks here at Bell in Fort Worth. Now, the idea is that eventually you'll be able to call it up and hire it through your Uber app, just like you can a car. But Uber aren't the only ones in the race to the skies. Slovakian company Aeromobile claimed they will have a flying car ready for 2023 that can change from a car to an aircraft in under three minutes. If concerns around safety and regulation can be overcome, things might be about to change. It's predicted that the market for flying cars will be worth $6 billion by 2030. And with a big emphasis on green technology and the promise of traffic-free travel, it's easy to see why. The sooner developers build trust in their innovations, the sooner the buyers will bring the cold, hard cash And maybe we won't have to wait until 2049 to take to the skies in our own flying cars. If more people threw their hats over the wall, we wouldn't be sitting in this mess right now. We'd be zooming over it in the flying car. And if commuting via the clouds wasn't enough, surely the thought of travelling across town without ever hitting a pothole is enough to convince even the hardiest of city dwellers. So... Fasten your seatbelts. Hey, Doc, you better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. Hey, Marty! Marty! I think for me, what were well, two things which stand out? Three things, actually. Let's go for it. The first is the financial aspect. People yeah. are starting to back it. Mm-hmm. The, the second is the environmental aspect mm-hmm. because we're realising that we've done damage to the planet and, mm-hmm. and that we need to do things more greener, more efficiently. And, and certainly the electric version of these EV, EV tolls offer a solution to that problem. Yeah. But then third, and it comes back to a point that you mentioned earlier, Luke, is the safety. I mean, we are terrible drivers, really, as a nation and across the world. And would you trust most people you see on the road other than yourself mm. to fly a flying car? And, and how do we regulate it? So it's one of these kind of like... The technology is developing. It might not be, you know, apart from Aeromobile, which is hugely expensive and might just be for a niche market, mm-hmm. the technology is developing, but it's how we can actually regulate it. And the money's waiting to go, but we haven't quite defined the market just yet. But one thing I would say is that Airbus is actually so confident, it's certainly in the EV toll market, the air taxi market, that they predict it could be bigger than the aviation market, certainly huh. their aviation market. So there is wow. huge confidence in how it can revolutionise how we as individuals actually travel in the future. That's really interesting because that's what was going to be my comeback to the point about people at large flying these and how many, we can, I mean, you didn't say this, but you alluded to the idea that how many of them can there really be given the yeah. amount of people out there and, and whether they're good drivers or not or whatever. My my answer to that would be in the initial near term future, you're looking at higher vehicles. Basically, you're looking about prof- you look at like a whole like a, a whole group of professional f- pilots, drivers, flyers, whatever you want to call them, and it almost becomes like a a taxi service in the first first and foremost. Look, I don't know this for sure, but I'm fairly certain back in the day, you know, people would jump on the very primitive first cars and you and, and only I thought a, you remember that time. Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back when my first first grandchild was born, uh, no, but the point was that you you would probably have a because they were so unaffordable or so 
poorly spread around, you'd, you'd just jump on one and you'd hire one or you'd, someone would drive one for you and you'd use it that way. To me, that feels like the best next step, right? A group of professional pilots who can use them. And, and initially, of course, it's always going to be wealthy people who are going to use them. And they become more and more prevalent. And you come with some sort of system because you learn from the initial foray into it with these professional pilots who are, who are using them as hire vehicles, basically. Well, I, I guess there's two points. That The first is that, you know, if we're going to succeed in having this technology for everyone, we need mm. to democratise access to it. So it needs to be something which yeah. is more affordable. So such as, you know, instead of calling an Uber, your, your flying car or your Evitol or your yeah. flying taxi arrives. But the second thing is, and I don't know how you'd feel about this, but would you get in one where there was no pilot? Yeah, this is an interesting question. And I, and I think um, I'd really be interested in a survey of that among people of different ages. I think if you asked people of 21 and younger if they would do it, I think a lot of them would say they'd be Is fine that because they're not scared? Partly because, well, when you're younger, you're not as frightened of things. Uh, although I'm a poor example because I'm always frightened of everything. But I think that they, they're used to more automation. People are just yeah, used to more technology. If you so go, if I called you one now, would you get in it? If I got my phone out... No, because I wouldn't got... trust what destination you put in it. Before <laughs> you never see me again. But, but I was also going to... you enjoy your flight. <laughs> yeah, for a bit. I was going to introduce another concept as well. It's a little bit more abstract, but bear with me. Part of the reason... I think there hasn't been a larger uptake. Well, there's a few reasons, but one of the reasons there hasn't been a large uptake in, say, electric cars yep. is because, to me, it's more of the same. Lots of people think it's just more of the same. Okay, I've already got a car. This is doing the same thing, arguably slightly worse, and it's costing me more money, and I'm not getting anything new, right? Would so, you not say that was a gradual phasing, though, because they're is. getting more places to charge your car, costs are coming yeah, down, and, it is. and slowly so, they'll ban you from having a regular car? That's right. It's a process, though, right? With a, my point being, though, the main point I was just going to make was that this is entirely new technology. So, for example, this technology doesn't exist. So, it makes perfect sense from the for, for from the very start of it to start off in an electric way, because then you haven't got to worry about um, other alternatives that are really bad for the environment. It's like a clean slate, basically. The technology exists, and we've had vertical takeoff and landing before and in, in, in the past, so it, it has been around. But it's the fact of putting people inside it, and I, and I think there is that. You know, and it's interesting what you say about a survey. And I think I saw one survey online which said certain people in, in certain countries, I think it was the UAE, would be more trusting right. of using this type of technology than in other countries. I think the UAE topped that survey. And um, in the, the present section, we mentioned a concept called the NASA puffin. And this is literally, imagine standing like rigid with your arms straight and your shoulders pulled in. Yeah. And then you're literally inside almost like a telephone booth, kind of like right. in Bill and Ted's Excellent I, Adventure. I don't like the sound of this. Okay. And then it takes off. Right. And then you line forward. And, and then when you're lying forward, that's how you fly. And that was an actual concept. The man who designed this is a guy called Mark Moore, and he's been involved with Uber Elevate and NASA. And he actually designed NASA's Puffin aeroplane concept. He's got his own company now called Whisper Aero. And we asked him about how this next generation of flying vehicles will avoid the pitfalls of today's equivalent. These aircraft are designed with uh, redundancy so that even if there's a part that fails, the aircraft can still fly, take off and land just fine. And a helicopter can't do that, never will be able to do that. Another unique uh, feature of these eVTOL aircraft is they're very, very quiet. So by using these electric uh, technologies, electric motors, you get rid of uh, the, the very high noise that uh, helicopters are, are pretty famous for and why many cities don't even let helicopters take off and land within the city confines. 
Uh, in addition, helicopters are really inefficient. Uh, we measure, measure aerodynamic efficiency by what's called lift over drag. It's how much lift force you create versus how much drag force is pulling you back. And uh, a helicopter achieves a lift to drag ratio of about four. An eVTOL achieves a, a lift to drag ratio of about 14. So it's three and a half times higher aerodynamic efficiency. And in addition, the electric motors are another three times more efficient than a small turbine engine that helicopters use. So eVTOL are more than 10 times greater efficiency than a helicopter. So the, the technologies there, it's almost mm. as often, it's a cultural shift and a, and a psychological mm. thing. And then how do we actually get people to use these new types of vehicles? But then mm. is it a flying car? Mm. You're a big fan of the Aeromobile, which looks like that science fiction flying car. But mm. our EV tolls, our air taxis, our drones with people in, are they actually flying cars? We will. We- I mean, this happens time and time again. We, we we go into an episode thinking about one particular type of thing and then realise that the technology and the development and the finance and all the... See, sometimes even the things like the laws of nature take us in another direction, you know. I think when we started this episode and we thought about it in our minds, we were thinking about the skies being dotted with vehicles flying around yeah. like you see in science fiction movies. And maybe it makes perfect sense that they take a slightly different look to what we imagined just because of the physics and the science involved. To me, what Mark's talking about there with the increased efficiency, the way that... I mean, it, it kind of makes perfect sense because you think, well, when was a helicopter developed? Ages ago. So f- 50, <laughs> Technical term there, ages no, ago, yeah. 50 years ago, yeah. helicopters are flying all over Vietnam and the Vietnam War, right? They've been around for a very long time and they've been back before that as well. It makes perfect sense that sometimes, or after a, a pretty long period of time, you don't just go, well, let's just keep refining and refining and refining. You think, hang on a minute, we know loads more about technology now. Let's start from scratch and let's do it in a slightly different way, in a much better way. And you could say, harking back to our first episode about jetpacks, is the flying car actually a mashup between what we thought a personal jetpack would be and what mm. we thought a flying car would be? Is mm. it this, you know, NASA puffin, the NASA puffin concept, that is my favourite, but is it this individual mm. thing that enables you to fly, enables you to escape traffic, something which is autonomous, which doesn't require a qualified pilot? Is it a mashup of things mm. that we expect it would happen and which can actually revolutionise the way that we get about. So we've actually got three separate kind of angles of attack. Yeah. We've got the Aeromobile, we've got the EV, EV, VTOL, sorry, and then we've got the Puffin, which I know is a kind of version of the EV, but it's like a, a self-flying car. Yeah, the, a lot of people have come up with, you know, there's people with serious money behind this. Mm. Larry Page, for example, with the Kitty mm. Hawk Flyer. There, mm. there are people putting serious money into this because they want to disrupt transportation. And... Um, one of my key things, like I within the space industry, I work to um, with an organisation called Space for Humanity to mm-hmm. democratise access to space. And one of my key goals in what I do is that if we want to succeed, certainly if we hark it back to space exploration, which, as you know, is my jam, like, you know, if we are to succeed in doing these things, we can't leave anyone behind. Mm. But it's the same with autonomous vehicles, with so-called personalised air transport, flying car, if you will. This needs to be something which is for everyone. And I think that's something which our our friend, expert, Andrew Chadwick, is very passionate about as well. The the plan is that everybody can use these. Um, I mean, obviously, with any form of new technology, the early adopters generally are people who are willing to pay maybe slightly more for that that service, particularly those uh, individuals where time is, is their main driver and they need to get to places a lot quicker. 
But um, but the companies that are developing these systems and the, the service operators that want to provide the service, I mean, their 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 models, their business models, and their market is with the with the public. So um, and and that's what the aim is for, and and to make it affordable so that anyone and everyone can actually use this transport. So so that it's definitely trying to democratize access to aviation, connects people more using aircraft, these electric aircraft, right across the, the, well, the UK and the world. So we have the idea of a load of different ways of moving forward with this technology. We're going to get into the early adopter phase where obviously the wealthy people are going to get involved or we're going to have higher car versions of it or taxi versions if you like and then it's going to be completely democratised uh, over a period of years I suppose before we move into that that actual age of flying, personal flying vehicles. Is that what we're saying? Pretty much. And I think if you go back to the year 1900 and you look at, you know, the car had only been invented, what, 17 years before that. Mm. And, and no one envisioned the world of today and how mm. commonplace it came. And, mm. you know, flight was in 1903 mm. and then they tried to mash up the two things. And it's, it's again, it's one of those things which sounds impossible, but the money's there. And as you know, bad as it sounds, if the money's invested and if big companies are taking this seriously, the technology is going to develop in ways we probably can't imagine. So when it comes to science fact or science fiction, yeah. um, Luke, do you, what do you think? Do you, do, you think uh, do you think I've answered your question of where the flying car is? Yeah, I think so. I think science fiction or science fact, this one to me appears to be more like science fact, I would say. Uh, we're a little bit early as we can find ourselves on a number of these different episodes but the best person to give us the answer to that I think is Mark Moore so why don't we get the final word to him so it, it really is not that far away um, within the next uh, you know three to five years you're certainly going to have the opportunity in a few select cities to be able to uh, fly one of these really amazing aircraft and experience what it's like to uh, to jump into the Jetson age Great. Awesome. That's so cool. Has that answered your question? It's just cool. Yeah, it's just a great thing. And I like the way you phrased that at the end about the Jetson age. But it is, Although they were in space, right? They were in space, but they were kind of on Earth as bit well. I don't know where the Jetsons were, actually. It's kind of a, a, <laughs> a nameless planet. It's easy when it's a cartoon, isn't it? It is. It is. Because <laughs> wasn't the sky kind of pink as well? Yeah, like, at one point, yeah. Um, so I think looking at that, just imagine if you can, four or five years' time, and that'll go quickly. We all know how fast time can go. But just to... Turn up at a city and less traffic on the road. And then you've got these new ways of getting around these electric vehicles, these autonomous vehicles. You can just call up using your phone the same way you might call up a taxi nowadays yeah. and get to your destination without traffic. Oh, mate, I'm all for it. It took me eight hours to get back from the Lake District yesterday. So, eight uh, hours? Yeah, so I'm all for this. Are you a slow driver? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. There's other cars in front of me. <laughs> but, but it won't look like the classical flying car that we've seen in the movies. It'll look like something we couldn't imagine like i know it's cliche. which in a way is more exciting yeah it is and yeah. it's just all these i think the flying car is the number one thing you know it's on par with jetpack maybe slightly above it in terms okay. of things people have asked for and asked why we haven't got it yet yeah. it's just around the corner but it might not work as a car it'll it's, be an alternative to a car it's not going to look like the vehicle that scaramanga used to get away from james bond which is basically like a massive wing on the top of an old like austin allegro or something don't put that in your mind. It's going to be something a lot more exciting than that. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Where's My Jetpack? We'll be back next week, so pack your bags as we ask, where's my space hotel? Yes, that was a terrible pun. Where's My Jetpack is a stack production presented by me, Sarah Credis, and Luke Moore. 
The production team is Charlie Morgan, Luke Moore and Sarah Crudus. Our sound designer and editor is Tom Wally. Special thanks to our guests, Patrick Hessel, Andrew Chadwick and Mark Moore. And if you like this show, please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It makes a huge difference. And you can also find us on Twitter at Sarah Crudus and at Luke Aaron Moore. Where's My Jetpack is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.